beautiful song. It is well with my soul. That's a great uh, song as we think about going into Psalm 139. Well, let me ask you guys, what's going through your mind right now? What is your mind fixed on? What are you meditating on this morning? What are you focused on? Um, We all know that what we think about and what we meditate on impacts how we feel, right? Perhaps you're facing a trial, a stressful situation, and when we're facing a trial, it's easy to focus on the negative things. It's easy to focus and meditate on all the things that are going wrong and all the things that are beyond our control and all the things that could possibly go wrong. When we focus on these negative things, that produces in us negative emotions. We begin to feel fearful, anxious, depressed, angry, bitter, isolated, The meditations of our hearts and minds produce emotions. And we oftentimes act on our emotions. We act from a place of fear or anxiety. Perhaps you lash out at someone in anger, or you turn to drugs or alcohol to cope, or you turn to food, video games, TV, sports, movies to forget. Maybe you turn to pornography or eating disorders or work or micromanaging your children's affairs to feel like you're at least in control of something. And it all begins with what we meditate on. So what are we thinking about this morning? What are you meditating on this morning in the midst of a trial or a stressful situation you may be facing? This morning we're going to see what David meditated on when he was faced with trials. Uh, David didn't ignore trials. He faced them and accepted the reality of the situation. But David didn't continue to meditate on the trial and the trial strength and all that was going wrong and all that was beyond his control. Instead, David meditated on the power and majesty of God. He fixed his mind on God's power, not the power of his enemies. This took David from a place of fear and anxiety to a place of worship and rest. David wrote this beautiful psalm to worship God. It's a psalm that we can study and learn from as we face trials of our own. We don't ignore trials. We understand they are part of this life. We accept the reality of them. We we accept the reality we find ourselves in, but we also recognize that this reality includes the fact that God is far bigger than anything this world can throw at us. So, with that in mind, with that introduction in mind, let's look at Psalm 139. And I know it's a little on the long side, but would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? 
I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you for the revealed, your revealed will, Father. And I pray this morning, Father, that you would give us um, just understanding of this, that you would give us encouragement from your word, that you would change our hearts through your word. Just help me to speak truth this morning from your word, Lord. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So the main idea I want us to look at today after reading this psalm, the main idea that I see from Psalm 139 is in the face of trouble, we are to meditate on and take comfort in God's omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence that he exercises to know us, to draw close to us, and to bring about his will. It's kind of a mouthful, but we've got it up on the screen here. In the face of trouble, we are to meditate on and take comfort in God's omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence that he exercises to know us, to draw close to us, and to bring about his will. And so this morning, as we, as we unpack Psalm 139, kind of where we're headed, we're going to look first at the context of, one psalm, of psalm 139. So in other words, why David wrote this. We're going to look at David's meditations that we see in Psalm 139, and then we're going to look at David's response based on his meditation. So the first thing we're going to look at is the context, and of course, this is a Psalm of David. I haven't been able to find anything explaining exactly when it was written, or why it was written, or exactly what David was going through um, when he wrote this, but it's apparent that David wrote this prayer while facing danger. We gather this, gather this context from verses 19 to 22. We see in verse 19 that men of blood are near David. They are pursuing him, and he commands them to depart from him. David speaks of these men as enemies of God, as people who hate God, who speak against God with malicious intent, who rise up against God, and who take God's name in vain. We don't know who these men are exactly, and it's not significant that we know all the exact circumstances. It's only significant to understand that David was facing troubles and trials when he wrote this psalm. Men were pursuing him to do him harm. Bloodthirsty men, men who didn't fear God. There's a very real threat to David's life, and it's in this context that David writes this psalm. So let's look at what David meditates on in the face of dangers and trials. All right, remember, as we just said, David's facing serious, dire circumstances. Bloodthirsty men out to get him. And I think it would be very understandable for David to be focused on that fact, right? For his mind to be consumed with the fact that his life is in danger. But we see something different in Psalm 139. Sure, David makes known the fact to God that bloodthirsty men are out to kill him, but this is not where David camps out. It's not what he meditates on in the face of danger. David doesn't spend the entirety of the, of the psalm telling God how powerful and scary his adversaries are. Instead, David declares the glory of God. David meditates on the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God. He knows that these bloodthirsty men are nothing in comparison to the power and glory of God. So he praises God for who he is. He doesn't fret over the limited power of his enemies. He reminds himself that he is in the hands of the one true infinite God. Now you may be thinking that this psalm doesn't have a lot of application for us. It doesn't have a lot to do with us. After all, probably for most of you, bloodthirsty men aren't currently seeking you to kill you, right? So you may be thinking, well, this doesn't have a whole lot to do with me. But let me assure you that there is a bloodthirsty enemy after each and every one of us, right? Satan is intent on destroying you. We see from Scripture that he comes to steal and kill and destroy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He tempts you to reject God. We do indeed have an enemy that seeks to harm us. And we're going to see from David how to respond in the midst of that danger. 
Are you consumed with anxiety? This is how we fight. Are you consumed with depression? Are you consumed with lust and pornography? Are you consumed with your children to the point that you ignore your faith or only turn to God when you need Him to fix something? Are you consumed with laziness? Are you consumed with gluttony, with body image, vanity, and exercise? You are in a spiritual battle against a very real enemy. And this psalm is relevant for all of us. So what do we meditate on? David shows us in this psalm, in Psalm 139 here, David focuses on the omniscience, the omnipresence, and the omnipotence of God. He considers how the Lord exercises those attributes in a beautifully intimate and personal way. So let's look at this. Let's look at this stuff first. So first, let's look at the omniscience of God. This is what David's meditating on. Um, And David first considers this omniscience. And very simply, what is omniscience? It simply means knowing everything. Okay, 1 John 3.20 states that God knows everything. doesn't get much more simple than that, right? Job 37.16 states that God is perfect in knowledge. God does not have to remember or recall things. Um, He simply knows everything, all things, all at once, all the time. That's the omniscience of God. All right, and we see in verses 1 through 6 that that's what he's focusing on. David says in verses 1 through 6, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So in verses 1 through 6, we see that God's omniscience includes knowledge about individual human beings. Okay, God knows everything there is to know about us. God has searched us and he knows us. He knows when we sit down, when we rise up. He knows where we've been and where we're going. He knows the thoughts we're thinking. He knows the words we'll say today before we'll even say them. Matthew 10.30 tells us that even the hairs of our head are numbered. God's omniscience includes an incredibly intimate knowledge of you personally. And in the context of Psalm Psalm 139, David is taking comfort in the fact that God's knowledge of him and all these very mundane facts, I mean, think about the words we say throughout the day, not really worth knowing most of the time. God knows all of this, and he takes comfort in the fact that surely God's omniscience includes knowledge of the enemy that is out to kill David. David's awareness of God's omniscience comforts him. In fact, David specifically states in verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. There is no accessing David outside of God's will and there is no fleeing from the knowledge of God. There's nothing that can happen to David that God doesn't already know. God will not be taken by surprise by God's enemies. His omniscience includes all knowledge of David. But the language you hem me in behind and before used in verse 5 there includes more than mere knowledge, okay? This language used here is the same kind of language used to describe a military force that is besieging a city, that's attacking a city, okay? Uh, The city is surrounded. Think about it. You've got a city surrounded by the military force. It's pressed in from all sides. The walls are broken down. The picture here is that God has complete and total knowledge of David and all that he faces, and God has completely surrounded David. God is pressing into David from all sides in the same way that a military force would besiege a city. This is such a beautiful and gracious picture of the manner in which God pursues us. Oftentimes, we do not respond by faith to the trials we face, right? We react in our flesh. A trial comes and we immediately turn to fear or worry. 
We react in anger. We turn to the things of the world to comfort us and distract us. Or in our pride, we think that we don't even need God to handle the situation. We're just going to take care of it on our own. And in these times, God must break down our walls, right? He must push through our aversion towards him. He must destroy our pride. And in his grace, God will pursue you. We see this in Romans 5, 8, right? But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay? God's pursuit of us, he doesn't stand back and wait on your permission for him to come in and save you. Right? He doesn't wait for you to cry out for help. No. God besieges you like a military force. He comes after you. He knows you. He has searched you. He sees everything about you. And he comes after you. And just as God's omniscience included knowledge of David, it includes knowledge of you. God knows everything about you. He knows your anxious and fearful thoughts. He knows the trials that face you. And just like he did with David, God is pressing into you on all sides. He is keeping you. He has hemmed you in. And he has laid his hand upon you. The omniscience of God includes knowledge of you. That's a great comfort we can take. The other thing that David meditates on is the omnipresence of God, all right? That's the next thing that David considers in Psalm 139. And very simply, the definition is that God is present in all places at all times. He's everywhere all at once. He's not limited by time or space. He is in all places at all times. Verses 7 through 12, this is David meditating on the omnipresence of God. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So again, note that David marvels at the omnipresence of God as it relates to him personally. It's not some sterile exercise that David is conducting. He is praising God for the fact that in the midst of men pursuing him to kill him, David is always in the presence of God. David is rejoicing in the fact that God will never leave him or forsake him. No matter how dark the night or how great the evil, God is with David. David fights his concern over the presence of bloodthirsty men with the truth of God's constant presence. So it's not only that David is in, the, is in the presence of bloodthirsty men. He's not focusing on that alone. That's true. We see that in verse 19. But David is meditating on the fact that even though the, there's the presence of bloodthirsty men, there's the presence of the infinite, all-powerful God. So with this perspective in mind, we see that David is rejoicing in the fact that God will be present wherever he goes or is taken. There's no spiritual realm or physical place where David will be out of the presence of God. The hand of God will be on him and lead him. No matter the darkness David finds himself in, either spiritual or physical, God will be present. And this darkness, it may mean this is imagery here, this is a poetry, this is a psalm. This darkness, it could mean physical darkness, a dark place. It could mean spiritual darkness, such as sin, or even death. And in each circumstance, David is convinced that God will be present. There is no place, place that David could go or be taken that God will not be with him. In Psalm 23, verses 4 through 6, David said it, and probably a scripture we're more familiar with, and in a more concise way, David talks about the omnipresence of God this way. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So when David found himself in the presence of evil, he comforted himself with the fact that he was still in the presence of God. Evil does not drive God away. No distance, no dimension, no evil could separate him from God. And he knew that God is present in all places at all times. Now think about this, though. Even though David is clearly taking comfort in the presence of God, we must note that the fact that God is present in all places at all times is not a comfort to all people, right? For instance, in this text we're considering today, it is implicit that the presence of God would not have been a comfort to David's enemies, In this psalm, David is delighting in the fact that God is present to protect and bless him. However, this necessarily means that in order to protect David, David must have been relying relying on the fact that God would be present to punish David's enemies. Why, Why is David confident that God will be present to bless him? David was a part of God's chosen people, and he, by faith, looked forward to the day that the Messiah would come. David had confidence in God's covenant with the people of Israel. David welcomed and rejoiced in the presence of God because God was present to bless him. Today, we too can be confident in, in, we can be confident that God is present to bless us only because of the work of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Paul conveys the beautiful truth that we will forever be in the presence of God to receive his love and we will never have to endure the presence of God to punish. Look at uh, Romans 8, 31 to 39 with me. It's going to be on the screen. You can turn there if you want. Romans 8, 31 to 39 says, this is Paul writing. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the prayer of David in Psalm 139, 7 through 12 is a foreshadowing of the full realization of that truth in Jesus Christ set forth by Paul in Romans 8, 31 to 39. In Jesus Christ, nothing can separate us from the presence of God to pour out his love on us. We all stand guilty before God. We have all fallen short of his standards. As a result of our failure, our sin, we deserve to be punished by God. We deserve to be brought into the presence of God to receive his punishment. We deserve for him to pour his wrath out upon us. We deserve to be cast out of his blessing for all eternity. But God, in his love, had mercy on us. God pursued us. God gave up his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus bore the punishment and wrath of God that we deserve so that we could be taken out from under the wrath of God and brought into the blessing of God. Based on the work of Jesus Christ, we will forever and always 
only receive blessing in the presence of God and never punishment. We can now, with even more confidence, more confidence than David, rejoice in God's presence. If you are in Jesus Christ, there is no enemy that can separate you from God. There is no distance, no sin, no evil, no person, no power, no nation, no authority that can separate you from God. You will forever be in the presence of God to be blessed. It's not based on your work or how great you are or how faithfully you serve God. It is based on the completed work of Jesus Christ. Jesus was punished by God so that you could be blessed by God. You are in God's presence to be blessed forevermore, and nothing can separate you from that. That is something to rejoice over. David rejoiced in the promise of the Messiah. We get to rejoice in the completed work of Jesus Christ. The blessing of God does not mean you will never face trials, loss, or suffering. It means that you will forever be in God's presence to receive his blessing. Of the work, the completed work of Jesus Christ. God loves you for his glory and he will sustain you for his glory. You're forever his. Do not fear trials or tribulations or even bloodthirsty men. Do not meditate on the presence of trials. Meditate on the presence of God. So we see David meditating on the omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, and he also meditates on the omnipotence of God. And the definition of omnipotence is God is able to do everything within his good, perfect, and holy will. In Job 42, 2, Job writes, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Psalm 135, 6, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. God is all-powerful, and nothing can thwart his ways. David David is meditating on that. We see that in verses 13 to 16, and back in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So once again, David is looking to one of God's unique attributes as a comfort to him in his time of trial. In this instance, David marvels at the omnipotence of God. He looks at how God used his omnipotence concerning David. Again, we see this intimacy, this beauty that God is using these unique aspects and attributes of his as it relates to David personally. Right? Um, we see that David uses beautiful language, his poetic language, but he uses this language to indicate that God alone has the power to form human beings. He alone has the power to call life out of nothing. Romans 4.17 describes God as the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's the omnipotence of God. Not only does God alone have the power to create us out of nothing, but he has the power to determine the number of our days and the content of our days. In Job 14.5, Job says, since, since, your, since man's days are determined, and the numbers of his months is with you, talking about is with God, and you, God, have appointed his, man's, limits that he cannot pass. Job is recognizing here that God alone holds the number of man's days. This truth is a great comfort to David. God is in control of David's life, not these bloodthirsty men. God will determine when David's life comes to an end, not some external force. Man cannot overpower God and take a life before its appointed time. 
cancer, illness, car accidents, murder, drugs, none of these things can overpower God. Those things serve God's purposes. God not only has power over the number of our days, but he exercises this power to govern the content of our days. David says that every one of his days is written. His days were formed for him. This truth is a little bit more literally stated, a little less poetically stated in Ephesians 2.10, where Paul writes, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, you weren't just created and sent out into the world to stumble through meaningless days, killing times, until a number of your days are done. You were created by the omnipotent God for specific good works that he has prepared for you to do. In his omnipotence, God created you with specific gifts to accomplish specific works at this specific time in history. No power can keep you from accomplishing the works God has prepared for you to do. David took comfort in the fact that God has the power to determine the content of his days, and no one is powerful enough to thwart God's purpose in his life. God alone is omnipotent. He alone holds all power. No one compares to him. No one is as strong as him. David takes comfort in the fact that the bloodthirsty men that were created by God cannot overpower their creator. The same is true of of the enemy that pursues us. God will exercise his power to bring about his will. No one or thing can overpower the will of God. And David took comfort in that truth, and so can we. Those are David's meditations. When faced with trials, he's focusing on the fact that God has all knowledge, that God is present in all places at all times, and that God holds all power throughout all the universe. And so now let's look at how David responds. It takes him from a place of anxiety to a place of worship, right? In contemplating these attributes, David goes into a time of worship. Look at verses 17 and 18 in Psalm 139. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. David had a similar thing in verse 6 there. He said, such knowledge is too wonderful wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. In verses 17 and 18 there, David is recognizing the infinite nature of God. The thoughts of God are precious and vast. The thoughts of God outnumber the grains of sand. It's simply a poetic way to say that the thoughts of God are infinite. This comforts David. This is precious to David. He thinks about God's greatness and power as he drifts off to sleep and as he awakes. God always knows, I'm sorry, God always knows, uh, God always knows David. He's always with David. He exerts his power in David's life to bring about his will. David meditates on these truths. In fact, these are the very truths that allow David to even sleep in the midst of this trial. It's these truths that allow him to have peace even when his life is at risk. Like David, we should meditate on the attributes attributes of God and worship him for his greatness. This meditation and worship will bring us to a place of faith and rest. The other thing that David responds with is prayer, right? He he meditates on these attributes and it leads him to prayer. That's what we see in, in verses 19 to 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. That's a strong prayer, right? But David's fully convinced of God's knowledge, presence, and power, and he prays that God would destroy the wicked. 
Now notice David's heart in this, right? David doesn't just spend his whole time praying that God would protect him and that God would prosper him and that God would do things on David's behalf. Instead, David's prayer is that God's name would be glorified. He prays that the enemies of God would be destroyed. He prays that the ones who speak ill of God's name would be destroyed, right? And that's what happens to us. When we begin to focus on the glory of God, our prayers go from self-centered prayers to God-glorifying prayers, right? As we desire, uh, as our prayers turn from a list of things we want God to do for us, they go to a plea that God would be glorified. We enter into the glorious freedom of self-forgetfulness and desire only that God would make himself known and that he would glorify himself. We become willing to sacrifice for the glory of God. We begin to desire God's glory no matter the consequences for us personally. We realize the utter and futile waste of spending our lives to achieve comfort and education and money and power and safety, and we become willing to give our very lives for the glory of God. That's where David's meditations lead him to a place to pray that God be glorified. It's a beautiful prayer. And finally, uh, the response of David, we see great humility, right? In verses 23 and 24, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So having meditated on the truth of who God is compared to, to who his enemies are, David concludes this psalm with a plea for God to search him afresh and to know his heart. David asks that the Lord make known to David any offensive way, any sinful way. David wants to turn from any sin and walk in the way everlasting. The NASB, this was the ESV that was on the screen there, but the NASB interprets this passage a little differently, and I think a bit more accurately. It it interprets Psalm 139, verse 23. It says, "Search Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. The ESV just says, know my thoughts. The NASB says, know my anxious thoughts. And this is a recognition of David. We see this in the psalm here. David is recognizing that when he focused initially, when he focused on the fact that bloodthirsty men were coming to pursue him and were coming to kill him, that brought anxiety in David's mind. He's confessing that and he's repenting from that. He's turning from a focus on his enemies to a focus on the glory of God. Right? That's what we see of David here is this kind of recognition that in the initial, in the initial uh, knowledge of this trial that's come, he was anxious. And he even goes back to these anxious thoughts regularly. But he's asking for the God of the universe, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God, to, to make that fact known to David, to remind that of him. And of course, today, church, we have the Holy Spirit of God that lives within us. Right, The Holy Spirit of God abides within you And you can rely on him to bring conviction, not condemnation that will take you down into shame and guilt and make you want to run away from God. It will bring conviction that will bring you to a place of refreshment and bring you into a place of of repentance that brings refreshing in the presence of God. And that's a wonderful promise that we have in, in, uh, in this time now, now that we have the Holy Spirit. So David wants to meditate on the power and majesty of God. And in so doing, God will be glorified and David will be at peace. So in conclusion, guys, remember the main point here. In the face of trouble, we are to meditate on and take comfort in God's omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence that he exercises to know us, to draw close to us, and to bring about his will. We are to meditate on God and who he is rather than on your trials. 
Romans 8, 5, and 6 provides a great summary for what we've been discussing this morning. Romans 8, 5, and 6 says, it'll be on the screen, For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Guys, as we get ready to sing this last song, I want you to very consciously think about the trials that are facing you right now. Right? Normally we tell you, put those out of your mind. I want you to think about them. I want you to let yourself understand what is it that your mind has been focused on all week. Have you been thinking about trials and stressors and negative things that have been happening? Think about that right now. What bloodthirsty men are out to get you? And I want you to make that known to God. Take that to God right now. Do that. All right? And as we sing this last song, I want you to bring that, that, that trial. You're in the presence of God right now. We know in Jesus Christ you're in the presence of God to be blessed by him. I want you to bring that trial to the feet of your father. And I want you to meditate on the fact that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. That there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. That there's nothing that can, that can overpower you or that can overpower him. There's nothing that's going to come to you that is outside the will or the hands of your Father. And I want you to rejoice this morning in the truths that David meditated on as, as we sing this last song and turn that over to him. Decide today to trust the Lord. All right, if the praise team would come, I'm going to pray and close us out here and then we'll, we'll sing this last song. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the wonderful truth of your word. We thank you for this beautiful psalm, Lord, that is so, um, just so vulnerable of David, Lord. We just thank you for that gift that we too face anxieties. We too face struggles. We too face trials. And Lord, you're giving us from your word this beautiful picture of meditating on you and who you are. And I pray right now, this morning, we would be so conscious of your presence to bless us rather than the presence of evil or the enemy to destroy us. And that we would take comfort in the fact that you are powerful, that there's nothing that can overcome you, Lord. So I pray we would worship you with great joy and peace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.